Chapter Sixteen of Alice of Old Vincennes by Maurice Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sixteen, Father Beret's old battle. The room in which Alice was now imprisoned formed part of the upper story of a building erected by Hamilton in one of the four angles of the stockade it had no windows and but two oblong portholes made to accommodate a small swivel which stood darkly scowling near the middle of the floor from one of these apertures alice could see the straggling roofs and fences of the dreary little town while from the other a long reach of watery prairie almost a lake lay under view with the rolling muddy wabash gleaming beyond there seemed to be no activity of garrison or townspeople few sounds broke the silence of which the cheerless prison-room seemed to be the centre alice felt all her courage and cheerfulness leaving her she was alone in the midst of enemies no father or mother no friend a young girl at the mercy of soldiers who could not be expected to regard her with any sympathy beyond that which is accompanied with repulsive leers and hints day after day her loneliness and helplessness became more agonizing farnsworth it is true did all he could to relieve the strain of her situation but hamilton had an eye upon what passed and soon interfered he administered a bitter reprimand under which his subordinate writhed in speechless anger and resentment finally captain farnsworth he said in conclusion you will distinctly understand that this girl is my prisoner not yours that i not you will direct how she is to be held and treated and that hereafter i will suffer no interference on your part i hope you fully understand me sir and will govern yourself accordingly smarting or rather smothering under the outrageous insult of these remarks farnsworth at first determined to fling his resignation at the governor's feet and then do whatever desperate thing seemed most to his mood but a soldier's training is apt to call a halt before the worst befalls in such a case moreover in the present temptation farnsworth had a special check and hindrance he had had a conference with father beret in which the good priest had played the part of wisdom in slippers and of gentleness more dove-like than the doves a very subtle impression illuminated with the hope that withers hope had become of that interview and now farnsworth felt its restraint he therefore saluted hamilton formally and walked away father beret's paternal love for alice we cannot characterize it more nicely than to call it paternal was his justification for a certain mild sort of corruption insinuated by him into the heart of farnsworth he was a crafty priest but his craft was always used for a good end unquestionably jesuitic was his mode of circumventing the young man's military scruples by offering him a puff of fair weather with which to sail toward what appeared to be the shore of delight he saw at a glance that farnsworth's love for alice was a consuming passion in a very ardent yet decidedly weak heart here was the worldly lever with which father beret hoped to raise alice's prison and free her from the terrible doom with which she was threatened the first interview was at father beret's cabin to which as will be remembered the priest and farnsworth went after their meeting in the street it actually came to nothing save an indirect understanding but half suggested by father beret and never openly sanctioned by captain farnsworth the talk was insinuating on the part of the former while the latter slipped evasively from every proposition as if not able to consider it on account of a curious obtuseness of perception still when they separated they shook hands and exchanged a searching look perfectly satisfactory to both the memory of that interview with the priest was in farnsworth's mind when boiling with rage he left hamilton's presence and went forth into the chill february air 
he passed out through the postern and along the sodden and queechy edge of the prairie involuntarily making his way to father Perez's cabin his indignation was so great that he trembled from head to foot at every step the door of the place was open and father beret was eating a frugal meal of scones and sour wine of his own make he said which he hospitably begged to share with his visitor a fire smouldered on the hearth and a flat stone showed by the grease smoking over its hot surface where the cakes had been baked come in my son said the priest and try the fare of a poor old man it is plain very plain but good he smacked his lips sincerely and fingered another scone take some take some farnsworth was not tempted the acid bouquet of the wine filled the room with a smack of vinegar and the smoke from rank scorching fat and wheat meal did not suggest an agreeable feast well well if you are not hungry my son sit down on the stool there and tell me the news farnsworth took the low seat without a word letting his eyes wander over the walls alice's rapier that mate to that now worn by hamilton hung in its curiously engraved scabbard near one corner the sight of it inflamed farnsworth it's an outrage he broke forth governor hamilton sent a man to roussillon place with orders to bring him the scabbard of miss roussillon's sword and he now wears the beautiful weapon as if he had come by it honestly damn him my dear dear son you must not soil your lips with such language father beret let fall the half of a well-bitten cake and held up both hands i beg your pardon father i know i ought to be more careful in your presence but-but the beastly hellish scoundrel bah doucement mon fils doucement the old man shook his head and his finger while speaking easy my son easy you would be a fine target for bullets were your words to reach hamilton's ears you are not permitted to revile your commander yes i know but how can a man restrain himself under such abominable conditions father beret shrewdly guessed that hamilton had been giving the captain fresh reason for bitter resentment moreover he was sure that the moving cause had been alice so in order to draw out what he wished to hear he said very gently how is the little prisoner getting along farnsworth ground his teeth and swore but father beret appeared not to hear he bit deep into a scone took a liberal sip of the muddy red wine and added has she a comfortable place do you think governor hamilton would let me visit her it is horrible farnsworth blurted she's penned up as if she were a dangerous beast the poor girl and that damned scoundrel son son oh it's no use to try i can't help it father the whelp we can converse more safely and intelligently if we avoid profanity and undue emotion my son now if you will quit swearing i will and if you will be calm so will i farnsworth felt the sly irony of this absurdly vicarious proposition father beret smiled with a kindly twinkle in his deep-set eyes well if you don't use profane language father there's no telling how much you think in expletives what is your opinion of a man who tumbles a poor defenceless girl into prison and then refuses to let her be decently cared for how do you express yourself about him my son men often do things of which they ought to be ashamed 
i heard of a young officer once who maltreated a little girl that he met at night in the street what evil he would have done had not a passing kind-hearted man reminded him of his honour by a friendly punch in the ribs i dare not surmise true and your sarcasm goes home as hard as your fist did father i know that i've been a sad dog all my life miss roussillon saved you by shooting me and i love her for it lay it on father i deserve more than you can give me surely you do my son surely you do but my love for you will not let me give you pain ah we priests have to carry all men's loads our backs are broad however very broad my son and your fist devilish heavy father devilish heavy the gentle smile again flickered over the priest's weather-beaten face as he glanced sideways at farnsworth and said sometimes sometimes my son a carnal weapon must break the way for a spiritual one but we priests rarely have much physical strength our dependence is upon to be sure certainly farnsworth interrupted rubbing his side your dependence is upon the first thing that offers i've had many a blow but yours was the solidest that ever jarred my mortal frame father beret the twain began to laugh there is nothing like a reminiscence to stir up fresh mutual sympathy if your intercostals were somewhat sore for a time on account of a contact with priestly knuckles doubtless they are soon set in a corresponding uneasiness in the region of your conscience such shocks are often vigorously alterative and tonic eh my son you jolted me sober father and then i was ashamed of myself but where does all your tremendous strength lie you don't look strong while speaking farnsworth leaned near father beret and grasped his arm the young man started for his fingers instead of closing around a flabby shrunken old man's limb spread themselves upon a huge knotted mass of iron muscles with a quick movement father beret shook off farnsworth's hand and said i am no samson my son non sum qualiceram then as if dismissing a light subject for a graver one he sighed and added i suppose there is nothing that can be done for little alice he called the tall strong girl little alice and so she seemed to him he could not without direct effort think of her as a magnificently maturing woman she had always been his spoiled pet child perversely set against the holy church but dear to him nevertheless i came to ask you that very question father said farnsworth and what do i know surely my son you see how utterly helpless an old priest is against all you british and besides father beret farnsworth huskily interrupted is there a place that you know of anywhere in which miss roussillon could be hidden if my dear son but father i mean it mean what pardon an old man's slow understanding what are you talking about my son father beret glanced furtively about then quickly stepped through the doorway walked entirely around the house and came in again before farnsworth could respond once more seated on his stool he added interrogatively did you think you heard something moving outside no you were saying something when i went out pardon my interruption farnsworth gave the priest a searching and not wholly confiding look you did not interrupt me father beret 
i was not speaking why are you so watchful are you afraid of eavesdroppers you were speaking recklessly your words were incendiary ardentia verba my son you were suggesting a dangerous thing your life would scarcely satisfy the law were you convicted of insinuating such treason what if one of your prowling guards had overheard you your neck and mine might feel the halter quoda dominus he crossed himself and in a solemn voice added in english may the lord forbid ah my son we priests protect those we love and i who am not fit to tie a priest's shoe do likewise father i love alice roussillon love is a holy thing my son amare divinum est et humanum father beret can you help me spiritually speaking my son i mean can you hide mademoiselle roussillon in some safe place if i take her out of the prison yonder that's just what i mean can you do it your question is a remarkable one have you thought upon it from all directions my son think of your position your duty as an officer a shrewd polemical expression beamed from father beret's eyes and a very expert physiognomist might have suspected duplicity from certain lines about the old man's mouth i simply know that i cannot stand by and see alice mademoiselle roussillon forced to suffer treatment too beastly for an indian chief that's the only direction there is for me to look at it from and you can understand my feelings if you will you know that very well father beret when a man loves a girl he loves her that's the whole thing the quiet inscrutable half-smile flickered once more on father beret's face but he sat silent some time with a sinewy forefinger lying alongside his nose when at last he spoke it was in a tone of voice indicative of small interest in what he was saying his words rambled to their goal with the effect of happy accident there are places in this neighbourhood in which a human being would be as hard to find as the flag that you and governor hamilton have so diligently and unsuccessfully been in quest of for the past month or two really my son this is a mysterious little town farnsworth's eyes widened and a flush rose in his swarthy cheeks damn the flag he exclaimed let it lie hidden for ever what do i care i tell you father beret that alice roussillon is in extreme danger governor hamilton means to put some terrible punishment on her he has a devil's vindictiveness he showed it to me clearly a while ago you showed something of the same sort to me once upon a time my son yes i did father beret and i got a load of slugs in my shoulder for it from that brave girl's pistol she saved your life now i ask you to help me save hers or if not her life what is infinitely more her honour her honour cried father beret leaping to his feet so suddenly and with such energy that the cabin shook from base to roof what do you say captain farnsworth what do you mean the old man was transformed his face was terrible to see with its narrow burning eyes deep under the shaggy brows its dark veins writhing snake-like on the temples and forehead the projected mouth and chin the hard lines of the jaws the iron-gray gleam from all the features he looked like an aged tiger stiffened for a spring farnsworth was made of right soldierly stuff 
but he felt a distinct shiver flit along his back his past life had not lacked thrilling adventures and strangely varied experiences with desperate men usually he met sudden emergencies rather calmly sometimes with phlegmatic indifference this passionate outburst on the priest's part however surprised him and awed him while it stirred his heart with a profound sympathy unlike anything he had ever felt before father beret mastered himself in a moment and passing his hand over his face as if to brush away the excitement sat down again on his stool he appeared to collapse inwardly you must excuse the weakness of an old man my son he said in a voice hoarse and shaking but tell me what is going to be done with alice your words what you said i did not understand he rubbed his forehead slowly as one who has difficulty in trying to collect his thoughts i do not know what governor hamilton means to do father beret it will be something devilish however something that must not happen said farnsworth then he recounted all that hamilton had done and said he described the dreary and comfortless room in which alice was confined the miserable fare given her and how she would be exposed to the leers and low remarks of the soldiers she had already suffered these things and now she could no longer have any protection what was to become of her he did not attempt to overstate the case but presented it with a blunt sincerity which made a powerful realistic impression father beret like most men of strong feeling who have been subjected to long years of trial hardship multitudinous dangers and all sorts of temptation and who have learned the lessons of self-control had an iron will and also an abiding distrust of weak men he saw farnsworth's sincerity but he had no faith in his constancy although satisfied that while resentment of hamilton's imperiousness lasted he would doubtless remain firm in his purpose to aid alice let that wear off as in a short time it would and then what the old man studied his companion with eyes that slowly resumed their expression of smouldering and almost timid geniality his priestly experience with desperate men was demanding of him a proper regard for that subtlety of procedure which had so often compassed most difficult ends he listened in silence to farnsworth's story when it came to an end he began to offer some but half-relevant suggestions in the form of indirect cross-questions by means of which he gradually drew out a minute description of alice's prison the best way to reach it the nature of its door fastenings where the key was kept and everything indeed likely to be helpful to one contemplating a jail delivery farnsworth was inwardly delighted he felt father beret's cunning approach to the central object and his crafty method of gathering details the shades of evening thickened in the stuffy cabin room while the conversation went on father beret presently lifted a puncheon in one corner of the floor and got out a large bottle which bore a mildewed and faded french label and with it a small iron cup there was just light enough left to show a brownish sparkle when after popping out the cork he poured a draught in the fresh cup and in his own we may think more clearly my son if we taste this old liquor i have kept it a long while to offer upon a proper occasion the occasion is here a ravishing bouquet quickly imbued the air it was itself an intoxication the brothers of st martin distilled this liquor father beret added handing the cup to farnsworth not for common social drinking my son but for times when a man needs extraordinary stimulation it is said to be surpassingly good because st martin blessed the vine 
the doughty captain felt a sudden and imperious thirst seize his throat the liquor flooded his veins before his lips touched the cup he had been abstaining lately now his besetting appetite rushed upon him at one gulp he took in the fiery yet smooth and captivating draught nor did he notice that father beret instead of joining him in the potation merely lifted his cup and set it down again smacking his lips with gusto there followed a silence during which the aromatic breath of the bottle increased its dangerous fascination then father beret again filled farnsworth's cup and said ah the blessed monks little thought that their matchless brew would ever be sipped in a poor missionary's hut on the wabash but after all my son why not here as well as in sunny france our object justifies any impropriety of time and place you are right father i drink to our object yes i say to our object in fact the drinking preceded his speech and his tongue already had a loop in it the liquor stole through him a mist of bewildering and enchanting influence the third cup broke his sentences into unintelligible fragments the fourth made his underjaw sag loosely the fifth and sixth taken in close succession tumbled him limp on the floor where he slept blissfully all night long snugly covered with some of father beret's bedclothes per casum obliquum et per indirectum muttered the priest when he had returned the bottle and cup to their hiding-place the end justifies the means sleep well my son ah little alice little alice your old father will try will try he fumbled along the wall in the dark until he found the rapier which he took down then he went out and sat for some time motionless beside the door while the clouds thickened overhead it was late when he arose and glided away shadow-like toward the fort over which the night hung black chill and drearily silent the moon was still some hours high but smothered by the clouds a fog slowly drifted from the river meantime hamilton and helm had spent a part of the afternoon and evening as usual at cards helm broke off the game and went to his quarters rather early for him leaving the governor alone and in a bad temper because farnsworth when he had sent for him could not be found three times his orderly returned in as many hours with the same report the captain had not been seen or heard of naturally this sudden and complete disappearance immediately after the reprimand suggested to hamilton an unpleasant possibility what if farnsworth had deserted him down deep in his heart he was conscious that the young man had good cause for almost any desperate action to lose captain farnsworth however would be just now a calamity the indians were drifting over rapidly to the side of the americans and every day showed that the french could not long be kept quiet hamilton sat for some time after helm's departure thinking over what he now feared was a foolish mistake presently he buckled on alice's rapier which he had lately been wearing as his own and went out into the main area of the stockade a sentinel was tramping to and fro at the gate where a hazy lantern shone the night was breathless and silent hamilton approached the soldier on duty and asked him if he had seen captain farnsworth and receiving a negative reply turned about puzzled and thoughtful to walk back and forth in the chill foggy air presently a faint yellow light attracted his attention it shone through a porthole in an upper room of the blockhouse at the farther angle of the stockade in fact 
alice was reading by a sputtering lamp a book farnsworth had sent her a volume of ronsard that he had picked up in canada hamilton made his way in that direction at first merely curious to know who was burning oil so late but after a few paces he recognized where the light came from and instantly suspected that captain farnsworth was there indeed he felt sure of it somehow he could not regard alice as other than a saucy hoyden incapable of womanly virtue his experience with the worst element of canadian french life and his peculiar cast of mind and character coloured his impression of her he measured her by the women with whom the coureurs de bois and half-breed trappers consorted in detroit and at the posts eastward to quebec alice unable to sleep had sought forgetfulness of her bitter captivity in the old poet's charming lyrics she sat on the floor some blankets and furs drawn around her the book on her lap the stupidly dull lamp hanging beside her on a part of the swivel her hair lay loose over her neck and shoulders and shimmered around her face with a cloud-like effect giving to the features in their repose a setting that intensified their sweetness and sadness in a very low but distinct voice she was reading with a slightly quavering emotion mignonne allons voir si la rose que ce matin a voix d'éclose sa robe de pourpre au soleil when hamilton after stealthily mounting the rough stairway which led to her door peeped in through a space between the slabs and felt a stroke of disappointment seeing at a glance that farnsworth was not there he gazed for some time not without a sense of villainy while she continued her sweetly monotonous reading if his heart had been as hard as the iron swivel balls that lay beside alice he must still have felt a thrill of something like tender sympathy she now showed no trace of the vivacious sauciness which had heretofore always marked her features when she was in his presence a dainty gentleness touched with melancholy gave to her face an appealing look all the more powerful on account of its unconscious simplicity of expression the man felt an impulse pure and noble which would have borne him back down the ladder and away from the building had not a stronger one set boldly in the opposite direction there was a short struggle with the seared remnant of his better nature and then he tried to open the door but it was locked alice heard the slight noise and breaking off her reading turned to look hamilton made another effort to enter before he recollected that the wooden key or notched lever that controlled the cumbrous wooden lock hung on a peg beside the door he felt for it along the wall and soon laid his hand on it then again he peeped through to see alice who was now standing upright near the swivel she had thrown her hair back from her face and neck the lamp's flickering light seemed suddenly to have magnified her stature and enhanced her beauty her book lay on the tumbled wraps at her feet and in either hand she grasped a swivel shot hamilton's combative disposition came to the aid of his baser passion when he saw once more a defiant flash from his prisoner's face it was easy for him to be fascinated by opposition helm had profited by this trait as much as others had suffered by it but in the case of alice hamilton's mingled resentment and admiration were but a powerful irritant to the coarsest and most dangerous side of his nature after some fumbling and delay he fitted the key with a steady hand and moved the wooden bolt creaking and jolting from its slot then flinging the clumsy door wide open he stepped in alice started when she recognized the midnight intruder and a second deeper look into his countenance made her brave heart recoil while with a sinking sensation her breath almost stopped it was but a momentary weakness however followed by vigorous action what are you here for sir she demanded what do you want i am neither a burglar nor a murderer mademoiselle 
he responded lifting his hat and bowing with a smile not in the least reassuring you look like both stop where you are not so loud my dear miss roussillon i am not deaf and besides the garrison needs to sleep stop sir not another step she poised herself leaning slightly backward and held the iron ball in her right hand ready to throw it at him he halted still smiling villainously mademoiselle i assure you that your excitement is quite unnecessary i am not here to harm you you cannot harm me you cowardly wretch humph pride goes before a fall wench he retorted taking a half step backward then a thought arose in his mind which added a new shade to the repellent darkness of his countenance miss roussillon he said in english and with a changed voice which seemed to grow harder each word deliberately emphasized i have come to break some bad news to you you would scarcely bring me good news sir and i am not curious to hear the bad he was silent for a little while gazing at her with the sort of admiration from which a true woman draws away appalled he saw how she loathed him saw how impossible it was for him to get a line nearer to her by any turn of force or fortune brave high-headed strong as a young leopard pure and sweet as a rose she stood before him fearless even aggressive showing him by every line of her face and form that she felt her infinite superiority and meant to maintain it her whole personal expression told him he was defeated therefore he quickly seized upon a suggestion caught from a transaction with longhair who had returned a few hours before from his pursuit of beverley it pains me i assure you miss roussillon to tell you what will probably grieve you deeply he presently added but i have not been unaware of your tender interest in lieutenant beverley and when i had bad news from him i thought it my duty to inform you he paused feeling with a devil's satisfaction the point of his statement go home to the girl's heart the wind was beginning to blow outside shaking open the dark clouds and letting gleams of moonlight flicker on the thinning fog a ghostly ray came through a crack between the logs and lit alice's face with a pathetic wanness she moved her lips as if speaking but hamilton heard no sound the indian longhair whom i sent upon lieutenant beverley's trail reported to me this afternoon that his pursuit had been quite successful he caught his game alice's voice came to her now she drew in a quivering breath of relief then he is here he is you have him a prisoner again a part of him miss roussillon enough to be quite sure that there is one traitor who will trouble his king no more mr longhair brought in the lieutenant's scalp alice received this horrible statement in silence but her face blanched and she stood as if frozen by the shock the shifty moon glimmer and the yellow glow of the lamp showed hamilton to what an extent his devilish cruelty hurt her and somehow it chilled him as if by reflection but he could not forego another thrust he deserved hanging and would have got it had he been brought to me alive so after all you should be satisfied he escaped my vengeance and longhair got his pay you see i am the chief sufferer these words however fell without effect upon the girl's ears in which was booming the awful storm-like roar of her excitement she did not see her persecutor standing there her vision unhindered by walls and distance went straight away to a place in the wilderness where all mangled and disfigured beverley lay dead a low cry broke from her lips she dropped the heavy swivel balls and then like a bird swiftly with a rustling swoop she went past hamilton and down the stair 
for perhaps a full minute the man stood there motionless stupefied amazed and when at length he recovered himself it was with difficulty that he followed her everything seemed to hinder him when he reached the open air however he quickly regained his activity of both mind and body and looked in all directions the clouds were breaking into parallel masses with streaks of sky between the moon hanging aslant against the blue peeped forth just in time to show him a flying figure which even while he looked reached the postern opened it and slipped through with but a breath of hesitation between giving the alarm and following alice silently and alone he chose the latter he was a swift runner and light-footed with a few bounds he reached the little gate which was still oscillating on its hinges darted through and away straining every muscle in desperate pursuit gaining rapidly in the race which bore eastward along the course twice before chosen by alice in leaving the stockade End of chapter sixteen